Uh, it's good to be back with you all uh, here today, and uh, thank you for braving the cold weather, the elements to, to be here with us today. It's awesome to be able to be with you in person. I uh, did my COVID test last night, and I got to tell you, that's a terrifying 15 minutes, isn't it? And like, oh, what's the next seven days of my life going to look like? But it's all clear. We're good. Uh, today we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 30, Deuteronomy chapter 30, and this is a, a passage that um, as of late has come to my mind a lot and I've been reflecting on it quite a bit. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 11, Moses says this, this command that I give you today is certainly not too difficult or beyond your reach. It is not in heaven so that you have to ask who will go up to heaven, get it for us and proclaim it to us so that we may follow it. And it is not across the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea, get it for us and proclaim it to us so that we may follow it. But the message is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart so that you may follow it. See, today I have set before you life and prosperity, death and adversity, for I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands, statutes, and ordinances so that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God may bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not listen, and you are led astray to bow down to other gods and worship them, I tell you today that you will certainly perish and will not live long in the land you are entering to possess across the Jordan. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Love the Lord your God, obey him, and remain faithful to him, for he is your life, and he will prolong your life in the land the Lord swore to give to your fathers Abraham Isaac, and Jacob. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the chance to be here together like this today. And I thank you for every person that is listening here in person, for every person that is listening in at home or will listen in later. God, I, I pray that our time together today would be transformative. God, I, I know that we're coming in here with all kinds of concerns and stresses and burdens in life. We might be feeling very distracted at the moment, not sure that we can concentrate, focus, take anything in. God, I just pray that you would help us to give you our undivided attention today. Set everything else aside. God, I pray that we would have a, a moment with you today where you can really speak to us and minister to us and meet us where we're at and help us. So God, be with me as I preach this text. Be with us as we listen to this text read and taught and help us to see what you have for us here. And may we change in the ways that we need to change for your glory and our joy and the good of our world, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Moses is uh, standing before the nation of Israel. 
He has already given them the law, but they have already broken it and blown it. And so he's giving them the law again. He's renewing the covenant between God and them and them and God. And and Moses uses this line that has really stood out to me as of late. I, I set before you today life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life. Moses is pleading with the Israelites, there's a path that leads to destruction and decay and death, and there's a path that leads to abundance and flourishing and life, and and you've been shown what each path is. And so I want you to choose life today. And while Moses is talking to the nation of Israel here, he might as well be talking to us We have before us life and death. We have before us blessing and cursing, and God wants us to choose life. Now, the obvious question right at the outset of all of this is, well, what is life? This life that we're supposed to choose, what is it? And if I could summarize the teaching of the New Testament, the teaching of Jesus and his apostles, I would say that life is spending time with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and living like Jesus. Life is spending time with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and living like Jesus in the world. Jesus lived the life that you and I should have lived. Jesus lived the life that we were created to live, but we haven't lived because of our rebellion. Jesus lived his, his whole life in love of God. He, he lived his life centered on God. He loved God with his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything he did, it, it flowed from God and it flowed back to God. It was for God. He loved people. He took on the form of a servant and he gave of himself his very life to the restorative work of God in the world. And and not only did he love God, but he lived every day in the love of God. He knew that he was loved by God, that he was God's precious child, that God delighted in him, that God was well pleased with him. And that love, that identity, that meaning It fed his life, it fed his purpose, and he lived his whole life for God and others. And we're told that this is life. This is what life is. It's loving God and loving people. It's becoming like Jesus. It's living like Jesus. Despite what the culture says, and I realize that what I'm about to say goes against pretty much every Disney movie that you've ever seen. Life is not about following your heart. (laughs) I don't know about you, but my heart's pretty messed up and pretty fickle and pretty all over the place. If I follow my heart at all times, I'm gonna get in trouble. Life is not about following your heart if your heart is not, of course, saturated with the heart of Jesus. Life is not about pursuing your passion That is, if your passion is not saturated with the will of Jesus, and if your passion alone is where you're expecting to find ultimate happiness, meaning, and identity. And life is not about being true to yourself. That is, if yourself is not saturated with who Jesus says you are, and who he's making you into. 
These things are alluring, they're tempting, they sound good, they look like that's where life is, but these things are death because these things are not the things that we were made for. And so to live this way is to live outside of what we were made for. To live this way is to live outside of God who we were made for. And therefore they ultimately lead to the destruction and the death of our soul. And we have before us at all times this live for yourself path or this spend time with, become like, live like Jesus path. And this one's life and this one's death. So that's life, but what does it mean to to choose life? It's one thing, one thing to say this path is life, this path is death, but, but how do you choose this path? How do you keep on this path? I would say that to choose life is to live in such a way that it enables you to spend time with, become like, and live like Jesus. It's to choose life is to prioritize the rhythms and the habits and the practices that get you there. And it's ordering your life around those rhythms and those practices and those habits. Well, what are those rhythms and those practices and those habits? What does all of that look like? It seems overwhelming when we talk about it in general terms. I love what Moses says in this passage. He says, this command that I give you today is certainly not too difficult or beyond your reach. It is not in heaven so that you have to ask who will go up to heaven, get it for us and proclaim it to us so that we may follow it. And it is not the cross the sea, not across the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea, get it for us and proclaim it to us so that we may follow it. But the message is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you may follow it. I love this wording of Moses, right? He's, he's saying that the, the path to life, it's not hidden. It isn't ambiguous, It isn't mysterious. It isn't something that we have to search for or figure out for ourselves or even create for ourselves. Jesus has spoken. Jesus has made it clear what leads to life. And I like the way Moses puts it here. He says, I've set before you life and prosperity, death and adversity. I'm commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commands, statutes and ordinances so that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God may bless you in the land you are entering to possess. As Moses puts it here, love the Lord your God, walk in his ways, keep his commands. That's how you choose life. That's how you walk in life. If I can get even more specific than Moses, we should give ourselves as followers of Jesus to spiritual disciplines or practices that help cultivate your love, stir your affections for God and Jesus. We should give ourselves to community, to our fellow believers, and we should give ourselves to service. And we should order our lives in such a way as to enable us to give ourselves to these things. Now there are all kinds of spiritual disciplines and practices. I could go on and on. I could do a whole series, actually recently did a series at our church on spiritual disciplines, but I just want to highlight four for you this morning. The the first one is meditation. The deep meditation 
prayerful, soulful, meaningful reading of Scripture. Reading Scripture slowly. Letting the words of Scripture get inside of you and take root in you. I love the way Spurgeon says, some people like to read so many Bible chapters every day. I would not dissuade them from the practice, but I would rather lay my soul a soak in half a dozen verses all day than rinse my hand in several chapters. Oh, to be bathed in a text of scripture and to let it be sucked up in your very soul till it saturates your heart. I love that. Now, I'm not against reading multiple chapters of the Bible a day. Sometimes all we have is, you know, five minutes to quickly read. All reading of Scripture is valuable. All time in the Bible is valuable, no matter how long, no matter how brief. I remember hearing once, do you remember every single meal that you've eaten? No, you don't, but every meal that you've eaten has sustained you. And I believe the same thing about scripture. We might not necessarily get anything out of a reading on a particular day, but it was worth it to do that reading. That reading will sustain us. So all reading of scripture is valuable, but I do want to advocate for meditation, for taking just a few verses and reading slowly, God, what? What do you have for me in these verses? Where do I need to repent? Where do I need to resolve? What do you have to say to me? And just lingering there for a period of time. Meditation. Of course, prayer. (laughs) How can I be a Christian and not talk about prayer? I love Tim Keller's definition of prayer. It's continuing the conversation that God has started with us. God, what is your will? God, what is your heart? God, make me more like you. Show me the way. Lead me, guide me. I have all these cares, worries, burdens. Minister to me. Help me. Lift me up. Encourage me. We need to give ourselves to prayer. The third one enables the first two, silence and solitude. Get away from the noise of other people. Get away from the noise of, oh, the noise of the news. (laughs) Get away from it, the endless cycle of negative and fearful news. Get away from the noise of social media. Stop scrolling through Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and whatever else the kids are using these days. I just aged myself, but I'm old and I accept it. Or old at heart, right? Get away from the noise of the social media. Get away from the noise of your to-do lists. Get away from the noise of expectations and responsibilities. Just, just set all of that aside to be alone with God for a morning, for a day, for a week, for an hour, for half an hour. Just get away from it all to meditate, to pray, to be with him, to enjoy him to hear from him. And the last one is fasting, which I define as removing for a period of time something from your life that you need or that you know you depend on in a way that you should be depending on God. We all have things in our life that we depend on for meaning, for significance, for relief, for joy, for happiness, for distraction, 
Fasting is removing that thing from our life for a period of time so that we can give ourselves more fully to prayer and to time with Jesus and so that we can depend on him in a way that we would normally depend on that thing. Maybe when you have a stressful day, your go-to is Netflix. Right? This, is, this is a confession here. My wife and I, we do this probably more often than we should. Right at the end of a long day with the kids, with the church, with life, with each other. Let's just watch a few episodes of a show and turn off our brain. And that's our go-to for, for distraction from everything else and for a bit of relief. Imagine if instead we went to God. Netflix feels really good for the moment, but my soul is not filled up the next day. I'm not recharged and restored. Time with God does that. And so fasting would be removing that thing from my life for a week, for a month. And every time I wanna watch Netflix, I pray instead. The time that I would normally be watching Netflix, I pray instead. When I crave Netflix and the mindless relief that it gives, I pray to God, God, help me to hunger and long for you in the way that I do for Netflix in this moment. It might sound silly and strange, but I think we can all relate. There's something like that in our lives, chocolate, sugar, coffee, right? I don't know. This thing that we go to, remove it and dedicate yourself more to God instead for a time. This is just a sampling of, of spiritual disciplines and practices that when we give ourselves to them, they, they cultivate a love for God, they stir affections for God. And we need these things before we go on to the other two, right? I said, give ourselves to spiritual disciplines, give ourselves to community, and give ourselves to service. You need to give yourself to the time with God to be able to give yourself to community and service. If you don't spend time with God, community and service will become exhausting. They will become burdensome. They will become joyless. You will start to resent people. You need to be filled up by God to be able to pour out in these places. So I'm saying cultivate your love for God first. Keep doing that. But also, if you're doing that, also give yourself to community and to service. When I say give yourself to community, I mean this. Give yourself to regularly gathering and doing life with people who are gonna help you follow Jesus. And I mean people that are actually gonna help you follow Jesus, right? People that are gonna speak hard truths into your life. The people that just affirm you in every thought or action that you have, the people that are just always telling you what you want to hear. Yeah, those are the people that we like, but those people are not helping us. And ultimately, they're cowards and they don't really love us. The people that love us are the people that point us to Jesus, even when it's difficult and challenging and hard. The preacher that loves you is the preacher that tells you hard truths. The friends that love you are the friends that tell you hard truths, obviously, gently, compassionately, in the context of love, but nevertheless, they speak truth. Give yourself 
to not doing life alone in isolation, but to gathering and doing life with messy, difficult people who are trying to follow Jesus as you try to follow Jesus and you help each other pursue and run. Give yourself to service, doing for others for their good. And this includes evangelism and discipleship, inviting people into the life of Jesus to turn away from their sin and rebellion and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior and then walking with them towards maturity in Jesus. It looks like looking at your workplace, your neighborhood, your campus, your school, your industry, where is their brokenness? And then it's collaborating and scheming and plotting with others to bring God's restorative work to bear on that brokenness. It's simple acts of kindness. Looking out for your neighbors tomorrow when snowmageddon hits us, right? Helping your neighbors get out of their driveway. It's checking in on your more isolated neighbors, your lonely neighbors. It's advocacy and justice. It's standing in the gap for those that are voiceless and vulnerable and oppressed and exploited. Serving is all of these things. And if we give ourselves to these things, if we give ourselves to doing good for the sake of others, to gathering and doing life with those that are pursuing Jesus and will help us pursue Jesus, if we give ourselves to cultivating our love for God and stirring our affections for God through spiritual disciplines and practices, if we do that, then we are spending time with Jesus, we're becoming like Jesus, we're living like Jesus, and these are the things that lead to life. These are the things that lead to thriving and flourishing. These are the things that allow us to become who we were meant to be, live into what we were meant to do. These are the things that keep us close to God. This is life. All of this is life. This is water in the desert. This is the water that quenches our thirst. This is the food that satisfies our hunger. This is more than anything what we need. And I can testify to that. I can testify to that in my own life, that when I gather with other Christians like this, when I'm reading my Bible, when I'm praying, when I'm serving, especially on the days where I do not want to do those things, oh my goodness, I'm a pastor and I just said sometimes I don't want to go to church, but sometimes I don't. Not that I don't love you all, you're wonderful people, but sometimes I wake up on Sunday morning and I'm like, oh, I gotta do this, okay. <laughs> but when I do it, I never regret it. It's ultimately what's good for me. It's ultimately where I feel most alive. So here's the thing. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, I think, I think we all kind of know what I'm talking about. And we know that these things are good for us and we know that these things lead to life. So why do we not do them? Why do we so often not do them? Well, here are some common excuses that I hear that I say myself. Time. I have no time to do these things. Well, the pandemic, my friends, has been unbelievably revelatory, hasn't it? It turns out that time wasn't really our issue. 
I remember at the very start of the pandemic, right? Maybe less so now, but at the very start of the pandemic and for several months, all extracurriculars were gone. And most of us were working from home like society lifted several burdens, took several things off our plate, took several things away, not for all of us, but for many of us. And yet, did anything really change about our habits and our rhythms and our practices? Did we suddenly get fit? I never have time for exercise, as you can tell. Now, the pandemic started, what was my excuse? Well, the gyms are closed, I'll never go to a gym. Time isn't the issue. I love what John Piper says, he says, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. The issue for many of us is not a lack of time, but that we don't prioritize and manage our time well. We waste so much time. And the reality is, is that when we feel overloaded, for many of us, the first thing that we drop is our spiritual lives and the church. Now, I'm not saying that when you feel overloaded, you can't step back from some things. Obviously, sometimes our plates are too full and we've got to take some stuff off. But sometimes we back away entirely from or we greatly minimize the things that lead to life. And that doesn't make sense. Right? I'm anxious, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overloaded, so I'm going to take off of my plate the things that would actually restore me and help me. And instead, I'm going to keep on my plate the things that are just burdensome. That doesn't really make any sense, and yet that's so often how we go about things. A principle, it's an old principle, but it's, it's true. Time is never going to present itself to us. We have to make time for what matters most. Now, for some of you, you might be saying, no, David, I really am too busy. I want to be blunt here, and I can because I'm a guest speaker. If you are too busy that you cannot give yourself to any disciplines or practices, you have no bandwidth for community, and you have no capacity for service, I want to honestly say that something is very wrong, very unhealthy, and very dysfunctional about your life, and you need to rethink your life. Another excuse we often have is effort. It takes too much effort. I think a lot of us are caught off guard by how much work choosing life is. And, and we're deceived in the West. We have a tendency in the West, I think I've said this before, but I'll say it again. We have a tendency to think that if something is good, or if something is what we're meant to do, then it should be easy. It should be easy, and we should be passionate and excited and jazzed and into it at all times, if we're meant to be doing it, right? If I'm meant to be in this program, I shouldn't be struggling with it. I should enjoy it all of the time. If I'm meant to be with this person, if I'm meant to be married to this person, it should be easy to love them and easy to reconcile with them. Oh, if I meant to be a parent, this should all just come naturally to me. It shouldn't be 
difficult, but hear me, everything good and everything worth doing in life will have its challenges, sometimes seasons of immense challenge, and you have to push through, you have to persevere, you have to endure, but it's worth it. The hard stuff is worth it. Jesus has done through his sinless life and his substitutionary death and his bodily resurrection, he has accomplished everything necessary to make you right with God. Jesus saves us and all we have to do is entrust ourselves to him for forgiveness and reunion and new life. But becoming like Jesus, we work with Jesus to accomplish that. Jesus does everything necessary to save us, but then becoming like Jesus, we need to work with Jesus to accomplish that. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.10. He says, but by God's grace, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not ineffective. However, I worked more than any of them, yet not I, but God's grace that was with me. I love Paul there. God has given me a desire to serve him, and when I serve him, it is God who gives me the strength to do it and when I serve him it's God who brings about the fruit the results from what I do but I nevertheless have to serve him I nevertheless have hard work that I have to do he gives me the desire he gives me the strength he gives me the fruit but I still have to do the work in that process we don't sit on our lazy boys and become more like Jesus I love what Kevin DeYoung says, sanctification, the process of us becoming more like Jesus, it requires spirit-powered, gospel-driven, grace-fueled effort. And the last one, the last excuse, there are probably many others, but this is the last one I have, ideal conditions. I'll get to all of this when I'm this person or I have these things in my life or this is taken care of, this is dealt with, we want ideal conditions. And, and sometimes in times of distress and challenge and difficulty, we feel like all of those things are an excuse to tune out of choosing life. And yet really, times of difficulty are when it's more necessary, not less. It saddens me that for some people, self-care means disengaging or disconnecting from the things that lead to life. Now, hear me. Of course, we will all have different capacities at different times, and we need to have grace and empathy and patience and understanding for each other, but I think we sometimes give into the lie that to get better when we're not doing well, we need to stop doing anything that involves any sacrifice or that is in any way un comfortable or inconvenient and I don't believe that that's true now I'm not saying that we should live with zero boundaries or make no time for rest or restoration my wife have tried this it does not work but sometimes we need to push ourselves to do things that we might not necessarily want to or feel like doing and those things are ultimately good for us what I think we've really witnessed over the last, hard to believe, almost two years is that times of distress, challenge, and difficulty, they can either grow you or they can lead to regression. If you don't lean into Jesus and what he has for you, 
in times of difficulty, other things are going to step in and present themselves as your saviors. Other things are going to step in and say, I'll comfort you. I'll get you through this. I'll get you where you want to go. I'll make you into who you want to be. I'll take away your pain. I'll redefine you. I'll reinvent you. I'll redeem your past. I'll give you meaning and identity. And these things will distance us from Jesus even more. As Moses says here, but if your heart turns away and you do not listen and you are led astray to bow down to other gods and worship them, I tell you today that you will certainly perish and will not live long in the land you are entering to possess across the Jordan. Many other things will present themselves as gods. And if we're honest... Many of us, after this extended period of isolation, are struggling to re-engage with church and with service and with living outwardly. And I know that some of that struggle is trauma. But if we're honest, some of it, maybe a lot of it, is because we haven't chosen life over the last 22 months. We've chosen to self-medicate and soothe ourselves with other things, and we've lost something of our love and our zeal for Jesus and his church and his mission. We have all these excuses, but behind the excuses, I think there's something happening that most of us never take very seriously, often overlook, don't think about, but we should. There is a war that is happening. When Moses was preaching to the Israelites, there was a war. As I'm preaching these same things to us, there's a war, a war for your heart, for your affections, for your loves, for your desires, for your passions, for your priorities, for your focus, for your time, for your energy, your attention, your money, your capacity, your soul. There's a war for these things. There is a devil and he's the enemy of God and he's the enemy of us and he does not want you choosing life. He does not want you experiencing abundance and thriving and flourishing. He doesn't want you spending time with becoming like or living like Jesus. And he will do everything that he can to keep you from getting where you need to be, dangling all kinds of distractions and temptations and lies and doubts and fears and worries and hardships in your face. Every time you open up your Bible, there's a war happening. Every time you pray, there's a war happening. Every time you serve, there's a war happening. Every time we gather to worship, there's a war happening. The devil does not want you doing any of these things. He doesn't want us to get together like this and sit under good preaching and sing and pray and dedicate children. He doesn't want you in your C groups. He doesn't want you serving your neighbors. He doesn't want you confessing your sin or getting vulnerable with the people around you. Here's where I'm struggling. I need help. He doesn't want you having any influence or any impact in the world. He wants you sitting on your couch, apathetic, indifferent, doing nothing. And I don't think I've ever seen this reality as clearly as I have during COVID. Christians and churches are not doing well. It's because, a lot of it is because I think we have not chosen life. There's a little 
story in Pilgrim's Progress. I don't know if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress. It's an allegory for the Christian life. Christian and Christiana are making their way to heaven uh, as followers of Jesus, and they encounter all kinds of difficulties along the way. And I'm reading a kid's version of it with my children, and, and the characters are animals in the kid's version, cute and cuddly. And we're on Christiana's section right now, and Christiana and her family are are at the interpreter's house, and they go into a room, and there's a bear that is just sweeping up straw and garbage over and over and over again. And, And Matthew asks, what is he collecting them for? He thinks they are very precious, replied the interpreter. He has been serving the wicked prince for a long time, and he believes that someday in the midst of these useless straws, he will find a wonderful treasure. The king is sorry for him, and every day he sends a messenger to offer him a golden crown instead of straws. As the interpreter spoke, he pointed upward, and when the children raised their heads, they saw above them in the air the beautiful figure of an angel holding a bright crown in its hand. But he doesn't see it, said Mercy. No, said the interpreter, he will not look up. Will he never look up, asked James. Joseph added, how long will the angel wait for him? I cannot tell you, replied the interpreter. The king is very merciful and very patient, but the bear is so sure that he will find his treasure hidden in the rubbish that I do not know whether he will ever listen to the angel's voice. We are searching sometimes in rubbish for treasure when Jesus holds out to us this crown, this amazing life. We're not choosing life, but it's not too late for us to change that and turn that around, and we need to. Now, I could end there, but that would be really heavy. I want to give us some good news in this battle. Moses says this, he says, this command that I give you today is certainly not too difficult or beyond your reach. And I remember reading that and thinking, that's a bold thing to say, (laughs) right? These commands of God are not too difficult or beyond your reach. And it's like, how can that possibly be? How can it be that God's commands are not too difficult? I can't actually live that way. In and of myself, I can't conjure up within me the will and the heart to live the way that God wants me to live, to choose life. I I can't do that. So how can these things be not too difficult or beyond my reach? Here's the thing. If God was just sitting atop the mountain saying, here's what you got to do to get to me. Here's what you got to do to get me to love you and forgive you and accept you. So just do it. That would not be good news. That would not be good news. That would be devastating. That's religion and it leads to insecurity and fear and anxiety and drivenness and exhaustion and not ever knowing if you're enough or you've measured up. It leads to comparing yourselves to others and self-hatred and joylessness and hopelessness and defeat and apathy and indifference. And when we're doing well, self-righteousness and pride, it's, it's not good news. It's a prison. But that's not our reality. God is not sitting up top of a mountain saying, here's what you need to do to get to me, for me to love you, for me to accept you. God came down from the mountain. He says, choose life 
and I'm gonna make it possible for you to choose life. Jesus, the son of God, he lived and he died and he resurrected to put to death the selfishness that is in my heart, the rebelliousness that's in my heart and he died and rose to give me a new heart. Remember what I said at the beginning, Jesus lived this life that he calls us to live and the life that he lived, he gifts it to us, not just as an example, but he gives us through his resurrection in the Holy Spirit, the power to actually live it. Jesus, if we give ourselves to him, gives us a new heart that loves God and loves people and he gives us through his resurrection and his Holy Spirit the power to actually choose life and live the way that he wants us to live and to persevere in what leads to life. And here's another amazing thing. When we fail to do that, because we will fail to do that, when we blow it, Jesus in his death also took away all of the judgment that we deserve for all of the ways that we we fail and fall short. We are forgiven in Jesus, not just for our past mistakes, but for our current mistakes, for all future mistakes. We are forgiven and we belong to God. And when we mess up, that changes absolutely nothing about how God feels about you, about how God sees you. He loves you with an unfailing, unwavering, unconditional, unbreakable love in Jesus. And so Jesus says, choose life. Here's the power to do it. Here's the power to live it. Here's the power to persevere in it. And here's forgiveness for all the ways that you will fall short. In other words, this is accessible to us. This is doable for us. This is why Jesus is able to say, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you take up my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for yourselves. Jesus can actually say that his yoke, his burden is light, not because he actually calls us to easy things, but because he calls us to hard things with grace and forgiveness and the power to do it. We can choose life. So let's this day choose life and not death. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would help us as your followers to stop making excuses to choose life. And I pray that today we would order our lives in such a way that we spend time with you, we become like you, and we live like you through spiritual disciplines, through community, through service. Help us to set aside the things that are sucking joy and life out of us and help us rather to choose the things that will fill us up, restore us, and help us to thrive and flourish even in difficult and dark times. I pray that today everybody in this room would choose life. Maybe we need to choose life for the 500th time. Maybe today somebody needs to choose life for the very first time and they need to give themselves to Jesus, whatever it looks like. I pray that with death and life before us, we would choose life. Help us to do these things again for your glory and our joy 
and the good of the world. Amen.